Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Haunted Heart Podcast with your spooky hosts, myself, Kenny. And Katie. Welcome. We are so glad to have you here with us this week, surrounded by our candles and here to tell you whatever bullshit we're about to tell you. We're here for it. And we hope you are too, which if you're listening, then then I guess you are. (laughs) Yes. Yes, you are. I mean, nobody's forcing you to. And if, I mean, unless there's a crazy like fan situation going on and like, you know, your friend has you like held hostage and they've Mm -hmm. got you like in a room and they're like, you have to listen to the show. Mm -hmm. I mean, in that case. In which case, I hope you're using two devices to listen to the show because we want the downloads. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Just as long. Yes. Only marginally kidding, though. Um, (laughs) Definitely make sure you leave a review, though. Five-star review would be great. Yeah. Um, we yeah. always we always love that. Um, speaking of, I actually, we haven't done one of these in a oh, minute. Oh, but I did ha- we kind have of, a review. I did, yeah. I kind of wanted to uh, kick off the show with this okay. a little bit. Since it's uh, going to be a, a Katie week, I figured I'd put in uh, some minimal effort mm. to contribute to the show. Oh, don't flatter me. Uh, <laughs> minimal effort is sort of our brand. <laughs> Pretty much. And we have one uh, comment from a lovely listener who just says fun. <laughs> that's the whole review? No, it says fun, five stars. I love these folks. And Aww. that's it. We love you. Very we sweet. We love all of you, actually. Very sweet. Who left that? So Give that was love. left by Ma V in rose-colored glasses. Oh, okay. So we always appreciate that. Uh, we like to read those on the show occasionally. It's always like a... A little personal love letter, and it's a nice, like, free way to help support the show. It helps with traffic. It helps with our egos a little bit. Uh, (laughs) And it also helps provide some sort of content for us to read on the show. It's very cool. Very cool. I love reviews. So Only when they're good. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Actually, honestly, I mean. (laughs) We've had this conversation before. Yeah. Not to encourage bad reviews, but it's a good time. Yeah. It's good to good to get under people's skin sometimes. <laughs> so here we are, two episodes into the new year. Oh yeah, fabulous. We're just kind of you know vibing. We do record a little bit in advance, so I'm really hoping that you know the world hasn't fallen <laughs> to shit. Um, we're sort of on a precipice, and that's the thing about recording like slightly in advance is you're like, man, I really hope the something horrific doesn't happen the day before we drop this episode, and then we're just like, hey guys, best intentions for the new year. <laughs> and then it's just like the straight up fucking apocalypse. The the apocalypse had started. Listen, if it didn't start last year, then I mean, who knows? Yeah. Stay tuned. It's a it's a difficult time to be a podcaster recording uh slightly ahead of schedule. So just, And uh speaking oof. of speaking about like dark, really dark things. So you just I mean, hey. Yeah. 
who knows at this point, folks, but fingers we're crossed. <laughs> I mean, honestly, no, crossed. we're going to we're going to manifest what we need this year. We're going to bring it about. We're going to chaos magic our way to a beautiful society. I believe it. I believe it. And I speak it. You know who we More need right now? Who? That video of uh, Kylie Jenner a few years was it like last year or a few years ago for New Year's Eve. And she's like. She's sitting there and she's got her coffee and it's about New Year's. And she's like, I believe this is the year of us like realizing things. And like me and my friends are just like realizing. And that's literally all it is. We're just realizing. It's so iconic. I love it. Sometimes I feel like that's me on this podcast at times. (laughs) Like I mean, sometimes it it is what it is. Absolutely. Well, it might it might be me today because today we are delving back into the realm of the witchy, of the occult, of the I mean, we're always sort of in that realm. I was like, when did we leave? Right. We're always sort of in that realm, but we're we're kind of doing a bit of a deep dive, a bit of an exploration of a particular topic related to um, that is. Mm, central perhaps to more so to the perception of witchcraft. And that topic is palmistry. Ooh. We're going to talk palmistry. Palmistry. Palms, palms, hands. Mm-hmm. We're getting handsy. We are. We are getting handsy <laughs> with you today. We absolutely are. So this is a topic that's actually been on my list of ideas to kick around for a really long time, mm. actually. But the difficulty that I was sort of having with scripting it is obviously palmistry lends itself to a visual medium more so than an auditory medium like a podcast, because it is, you know, it's a lot easier to kind of show the chart that I know everybody has seen with the different lines and the labels and to kind of go through that on video. And maybe that is something that we'll explore for Patreon one day if you guys are interested in that. It's just easier to put video content there. But today, I kind of thought we would talk a little bit about the history. We'd talk a little about a little bit about where this came from. And then we'll get into a little bit towards the end of the episode, kind of general tenets of palm reading, if that makes sense. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All so right. So hopefully, you'll at least pick up something fun to show your friends at the bar whenever we're allowed out of our houses again. <laughs> Yeah, and um, you know, just something that would help you freak people out. You know? Yeah, just let me read your. Let me read your. Love poem. that. We love that. It's kind of like tarot reading because everyone always like once they once they figure out you can do it, they're like, "Ooh, will you oh, read yeah. my cards?" Oh yeah. So like same thing. Ooh, can you read my palm? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, um, okay, no. And I like put my hand up, and I'm like, no. Can you read mine? Can you read no. mine? Exactly. Can you read mine? It says, "Back the fuck up." Uh, <laughs> written and words on it. Six feet. <laughs> <laughs> so. Palmistry, also called chiromancy, chirology, chirosophy, refers to the practice of the reading of character and divination of the future by interpretation of lines and undulations, undulations, undulations on the palm of the hand. Those who practice chiromancy are called palmists, hand readers, hand analysts, which is my favorite, <laughs> or chirologists. Hand analyst. Hand analyst sounds like you have to like have some sort of license that's like governed by the state to do it. It, it sounds like you study palmistry, but in like a corporate environment. Yes. And it's like, the least sexy way to say palm reader. Would you like to? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Can I analyze your hand? Seems like there's a pocket protector in the mix there. For I was sure. going to say definitely. 
So chiromancy consists of the practice of evaluating a person's character or future life by reading the palm of that person's hand. Various lines like the heart line or the lifeline and mounts or bumps purportedly suggest interpretations by their relative sizes, qualities, or locations on the hand. In some traditions, readers also examine characteristics of the fingers, fingernails, fingerprints, and some skin patterns, skin texture and color, shape of the palm, and flexibility of the hand. So it really encompasses a lot. A reader usually begins by reading the person's dominant hand, which of course would be the hand they write with or use the most, which is sometimes considered to represent the conscious mind, whereas the other hand, the non-dominant hand, represents the subconscious. There's also other research that suggests that gender dictates which palm is primary for reading. While men should be read by their right hand, women should present their left hand for reading. In some traditions of palmistry, the non-primary hand is believed to carry hereditary or family traits or, depending on the palm reader's cosmological beliefs, to convey information about past life or karmic conditions for the subject being read. Interesting. How did I know that it was going to be the right hand for men? I don't know. It was weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, right hand path, left hand path. Women are inherently evil. Women are associated with the left hand. I don't know. Is the left? I mean, sense. is that does going left typically mean evil? Yes, it does. T- typically, well, typically in Catholicism. Well, even in magical lore, the left-hand path is said to be like the path of evil, right? The path of darkness, maybe not necessarily evil, but the right-hand path is the quote-unquote noble path. Left-hand path is the quote-unquote sinister path. Even if you look at the Latin word for left, sinestra, sinister, right? There's a correlation. I'm going to take, I'm lazy, so I'm going to take the easiest path. (laughs) Yes. Honestly, that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. So to get into a little bit of the history of palmistry, thought to have originated in India, palmistry is practiced by the Hindu Brahmins and is also indirectly referenced in the book of Job of the Bible, which has been dated between 7th and 4th centuries BCE. Several thousand years ago, the Hindu sage Valmiki is thought to have written a book comprising 567 stanzas, the title of which translates in English to the Teachings of Valmiki Maharshi on Male Palmistry. From India, the art of palmistry spread to China, Tibet, Egypt, Persia, Mesopotamia, and to ancient Greece. Aristotle reportedly discovered a treatise on the subject of palmistry on an altar of Hermes, which he then presented to Alexander the Great, who took great interest ever after in examining the character of his officers by analyzing the lines on their hands. However, the actual document that people, like later on, people pointed to this specific document, like it was reported that it was found that like the document that Aristotle found on the altar of Hermes was discovered somewhere, but it actually turned out to be a 17th century sex manual. Ooh, okay. So that was kind of awkward. (laughs) (laughs) I bet that would have had lots of suggestions for how Alexander the Great could have vetted his soldiers. Ooh. So... In Renaissance magic, moving a little further down the line, palmistry was classified as one of the seven forbidden arts alongside the likes of necromancy, geomancy, aromancy, pyromancy, hydromancy, and spatulamancy. 
<laughs> well, number one, I think you've just listed our next few topics. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> I was like, of- ooh, let me, let me make some notes here. <laughs> and next week we're talking about another Mancy. <laughs> um, wait, okay. So spatulomancy, I had to go back. I was going to gonna say, way. do you have a guess about what spatulomancy is? Spatulomancy. Spatulomancy would be the study of uh, rocks. William Sonoma. Um, <laughs> William Sonoma. It's actually, interestingly enough, bone reading. Where do reading they get the that bones. word? Because I would think it would be something like osteomancy or like, where does spatula come from? So spatulamancy, come, it comes from Latin, but it is referring to, if I don't miss my guess, the um, scapula, the clavicle. Oh, but it's just like a, I don't know. Oh, so how, I mean, how does one get into that? I you, do they just mm. like, you just touch people's like bones? You just be reading the bones. Maybe we'll have to what find out of, on a future what, episode of the Haunted Heart Podcast. <laughs> what kind of bones? I, I don't think it means, I, I don't think it means like reading chicken bones. Like, I don't think it's like a gathering the bones and shaking them in a bag and tossing them out and reading them. Yeah. I think it actually... Potentially, and I could be completely wrong, but it could be, I think it could be like the practice of almost like a weird cross between like massage and like palm reading where they like feel the structure of your bones. I don't know. We could look into it though. (laughs) I don't think it's the same as reading like deceased bones, Uh, Um, but I could be wrong. Just be like, you have a strong sternum. Dude, you got them big, thick Scottish bones. Means your BMI is always going to be off. (laughs) (laughs) So ironically, though palmistry was forbidden in the medieval era, it was also used during that period by witch hunters who interpreted pigmentation spots as signs of a pact with the devil. Oh. As we've read about in the Malleus Maleficarum, the popular witch hunting manual released in the 1400s. Right. So so remember on our episode about witch hunters, on our Salem witchcraft episode, which was way back. Way back in. Way back, yeah. We talked about the devil's mark. Yeah. So essentially, fuck you if you had a a mole, anything, like, sorry. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at my arms and I'm like, well, it wouldn't matter to me. I'm a man. But... um, (laughs) Hey, but you especially, yeah, I have, you I have especially quite have that, that one prominent one that like mm-hmm. is quite clearly a witch tit. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. That's where the devil's just been cozying up. So during the 16th century, moving on a little forward, uh, the art of palmistry was actively suppressed by the Catholic Church. After we come out of the middle medieval period, the Catholics are like, we're not having this. Like, we're going to absolutely put a stop to this. So there's not really much of a paper trail for us to follow during this period for details on Kiramancer's practices during this period. However, palmistry began experiencing a revival, at least in the public sphere, in the 1800s when who else but the supreme purveyors and appropriators of all culture, the Europeans, discovered the ancient art and began laying claims to it Mm. because that's just sort of what they do best. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, I mean, we appreciate a comeback. She's a comeback queen, that palmistry, even though, what, no, what's the saying? Don't call it a comeback, honey, because she's been here all along. Exactly. Pretty yeah. much. And that's what we see with a lot of things like this. It's, it, you know, if 
There is some evidence that it was a practice that had somewhat of a following in other cultures. And even though, you know, if the Catholic Church wants to crack down on it, what we've learned from studying all different sorts of pagan practices and occult rituals, it's that, you know, it's definitely still being done. It's just we're not writing about it. Right. It's not it's not getting attention in the mainstream. But in 1839, Captain Casimir Stanislas D'Arpentigny released his work La Chirognomi which shone a spotlight on the art of palmistry and the timing could not have been better. Now, we've discussed the immense popularity of occult practices in Western Europe during the Victorian era before on the show. Mm -hmm. Remember our Ouija board episode in Elijah Bond? Oh, yeah. Just to refresh your memory, although similar games focused on communication with the dead predated its creation, the Ouija board was first patented in 1890 at the height of the Victorian era obsession with mysticism and the occult. D.R. Pintigny's work on palmistry then, released several decades earlier, had helped lay the foundation for a modern obsession with mysticism. As such, he's often referred to in Western European occult circles as the father of curamancy. I do want to be clear here. While D.R. Pintigny might have been considered the modern Western European, Reed White, founder of palmistry, the art of reading palms was likely practiced for thousands of years in many different non-European countries and cultures long before D.R. Pintigny ever stepped onto the scene. Part of the reason why we gave you a history report at the beginning of this episode was to recognize and acknowledge the cultures from which the seed of modern palmistry was derived. Mm-hmm. Diarpentini did not invent palmistry, but he did define it for modern Victorian occultists. And for them, that was essentially the same thing. Yeah. Essentially a bunch of Victorian people who were extremely bored and uh, needed to find an outlet to uh, entertain themselves, essentially. Mm -hmm. And had plenty of money to pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) So that said, let's dig a little deeper into what this guy was all about and what his contributions were to our modern concept of palmistry. I'm getting my shovel. Captain Casimir Stanislaus Diabrigtini was born in 1798 and pursued a military career for most of his life. He joined the French army and served under both Napoleon I in 1814 and under King Louis XVIII until his retirement in 1844. Legend has it that while he was serving in Spain during the Peninsular Wars of 1820, he met a young girl who read his hands. This chance encounter proved to be quite decisive, for D'Arpentigny subsequently spent most of his time dedicating himself to the study of hands. Supposedly, he devoted years of his life to researching the old chiromantical texts of the Renaissance period, as many as he could find, and began making preliminary observations of the hands of the people he encountered. According to his own account, it was while he was attending the social gatherings of acquaintances of his that he made his first significant curagnomical discoveries. So he was a soldier, but he was also like a literary guy. Mm -hmm. And as a result, he was often invited to social gatherings from two different strata of French society. One group was made up of mainly scientists, mathematicians, and engineers, while the second group was made up of mainly artists, poets, and musicians. Now, Diarpentini noticed that there were considerable differences in the types of fingers to be found on the hands of the guests at each of these soirees. At the former, 
the mathematicians and scientists, the fingers tended to be rather knotty across the joints, whereas at the latter, the finger joints were nearly always smooth. He concluded that the different quality of finger joints corresponded with the differences to be found in the owner's mentality, an assertion which many practitioners of palmistry still hold today. This primary differentiation was to become the cornerstone of the whole system of palm reading that he later developed. So, naughty, right? Naughty joints. Naughty joints. I would feel insulted if I was at some like fancy soiree and then this man's just going to come up to me and he's just going, you know, grab my hand, and be like, "Oh, you've got some really naughty joints." Such a haggard, naughty hand. I'm sorry. What? Oh, look at your arthritis-ridden hands. <laughs> I just—they're just so telling. Your right. hands are so. Telling. telling. I mean, honestly, is it possible that this man, like, because he's he he was a captain, right? Mm-hmm. So he was like a, a, a an army guy, right? Mm-hmm. So that he probably picked this up in his travels. I'm assuming yeah, in Spain. He uh, support, and, supposedly a young girl read his palm while yeah. he was in Spain, and he got like obsessed with it. Yeah. So then he comes back. He's going to all of these parties, which. So I, I don't know. It's it's a little strange to me. I'm like, why was he attending these two different like types of like, I don't understand. Like, what did all of these like artists, whatever people that he was going to like, were they just enthused because he was like, oh, I can read your hands. And so it was something mm. like along that. Yeah, um, it was sort of like in in high society at the time, people were sort of interested in the occult and these like pagan things and these supposedly anything that came from like abroad was like, Oh, like, Oh, the Spaniards, like, what are they doing? Like, it, and, <laughs> and that made it like exotic and interesting. And cause you have to remember at that time, like, you know, we didn't have the internet. It, there wasn't like a global culture that we have now, right? Like now we sort of have a global culture. So like I can be online chatting with somebody or somebody can be listening to this podcast in Norway. Yeah. Right. And they're sort of plugged into our culture in that way. Back then, you know, everybody was, the world was a whole lot smaller. And the world basically consisted of like you and the people you were in your immediate vicinity, right? And so to have somebody who was traveling, although travel did happen more than we give credit, to have uh, this experienced like military veteran who has had all of these crazy experiences far and abroad to come like share that at your party, it made him sort of an interesting persona. And I think he sort Got of leaned it. into that a lot. Mm-hmm. So this he he could have just been using this as an invite, yeah. as a way to get invites to parties. I mean, hell yeah, I would too. I don't blame him for that. <laughs> so one of his major contributions to the art of palmistry was the system of hand-shape classification that he laid out in La Kirinomi. Despite the fact that hands clearly come in different shapes and sizes, most of the literature D.R. Pantigny had studied had failed to consider this fact. Prior texts had focused primarily on the lines of the palm, not with the form of the hand in which those lines were to be found. Now, there could be reasons for this. It's possible that perhaps the general shape and character of hands was covered in texts outside the scope of D.R. Pantigny's research. Or even more likely, perhaps the written texts on chiromantic practices only scratch the surface of the practice itself, since many cultures have historically tended to pass occult tradition through oral tradition. 
not written texts due to persecution, etc. Regardless, from the perspective of Western Europe, D'Arpentini was the very first guy to lay out a system of hand classification. From his own observations, he delineated the six basic types of hands. The spatulate, the conic, and the square, based primarily on the fingertip shapes. The knotty and the psychic, based primarily on the quality of the fingers. And the elementary, based on the overall crudity and width of both the palm and the lines. This hand-shaped typology has been widely adopted and is still used by many palmists today. Interesting. I'm over here, like, touching my joints. I'm like, is this a naughty <laughs> would we be consider, joint? Would we consider this? Am I, am I a naughty <laughs> joint? I don't... But I, I'm, am I'm I a naughty boy? <laughs> am I a naughty? Am I a naughty boy? Naughty joints. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. I would have loved to have been in these parties because I would have just made some shit up. And I'm like, I'm the one that would be doing the spatulomancy or yes. whatever off to the yes. side. It's like, you want me to read your bones? I can, read, me, your bones. I can, I can read your bone. <laughs> just me drunk off the good wine. Oh, my God. Your femur. Mm. Mm, I, but I would troll people. So I would be the one that's like. Actually, it would be me more like it would more be me with like tarot and like I'd be reading cards and then I'd just troll people and I'm just like, oh, Doesn't look good. God. Ooh. sorry, Francis. <laughs> Ooh. So um, but that's interesting. Um, I've always wondered because like you read these things online and I've read a little bit about palmistry. So like I have a very. Very, 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 very basic understanding of like the lines and stuff, mm-hmm. but I've never really paid attention to like the shape of the right. hands. Like right. I've always been more, you know, focused on the focused lines. on the lines. Yeah, right, right. So that and that was kind of like his perspective on this was, well, let's look at the overall character of the hand first before we get into all the line stuff, and that was his real contribution. However. His hand shape classification has considerable limitations. It wasn't devised, first of all, it wasn't devised as a means of classifying all hands. In fact, these days, it might not even serve as a reliable model for analyzing 50% of the population because women's hands are apparently quite different. And he fully admitted that his system is not to be used for the assessing of the hands of women. He actually attempted a separate section on the hand shapes of women and quite explicitly states that the six main types we've just laid out that he described in the majority of his work was for the classification of the hands of men only. Wow. Okay. For men only. For men. Men's only. Men, a, a man's <laughs> only club. Who would have thought, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So another significant issue with this hand classification system is that it's not systematic. The criteria that he used to differentiate different hand types actually overlap. So the types are not actually sufficiently distinct from each other for the system to be practically useful. It's actually quite rare to find the exact hand types described by D.R. Pintigny in his work. Most hands actually present a mixture of the features that he outlined. For example, a hand with conic fingertips and smooth joints. This is a fact which perhaps D'Arpentigny himself even realized. For actually, his is a sevenfold hand shape classification. The seventh type, the secret seventh bonus track type, is just described as the mixed hand. 
which is a pretty convenient category for all the hands that don't fit neatly into any of his other six types. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Always build yourself a back door. Uh-huh. Always build yourself a yep, back door. You, you know what our back net. door is? Trash talent. Exactly. I was, yep, you're right. Nail on the head on that one, honey. We made sure to build that in to the brand immediately. We are trash. We told you up trash front. told you. It's just here. honesty. We're not here for any of that. You try to, you know, call us out on some bullshit. Sorry. <laughs> not liable. So while D.R. Pintigny's seminal work did have its flaws, what it did do successfully was open the floodgates for more exploration of the art of palmistry. In 1889, the Curological Society of Great Britain was founded in London by Catherine St. Hill with the stated aim to advance and systematize the art of palmistry and to prevent charlatans from abusing the art. Ooh, not a charlatan. That's us. We're charlatans. Are we? Yes. Oh. I I believe Catherine St. Hill would consider us charlatans. You know what? I wear that as a badge of honor. It'll be fine. I'm 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 a Charlie. Everybody's got to be something in this world. I'm a charlatan. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the American Curological Society was actually founded a mere eight years after the school in London in 1897 by Edgar de Valcourt-Bermont. All these fancy names. All these names, honey. Delvat, Delvat, who gives a fuck? Like, all these why names. is your name so complicated? Honey, we got understand. G's and N's next to each other. I, I'm just over here trying to get through it. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't, why is it so complicated? Yeah. Frank, that's what your name is. Frank. 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 Edgar. You're like Frank. Eddie. Ed, Ed, yeah. <laughs> Edgar Von Butencourt. <laughs> I'm like, what? No, we're, we're going to call you Ed. What's up, Ed? Your fucking hand. Put it up here. We're, gonna, we're about to read it today. Put it up Ed. Here. Come on. Lay it up on the table. We're going to read it today. Edward. Eddie. Ed. E.D. Your palm says your name is Ed. We're trying to be fancy. Putting on airs. All right. So the groundswell of interest in palmistry on the part of academics and the bourgeoisie was, of course, followed by folks looking to make a name for themselves. One such person was the Irishman William John Warner, known better by his stage name, Kiro. See, simple. His name's William, William John. Okay, that's a strong name. It's a strong Irish name. We love it. Love to hear it. Full support of it over here. And you said his stage name was Kiro? Kiro, taken from Kiromancy. Oh, okay. See, Branding. Kiro. Boom. Got it. Simple. Kiro. I love that. Mysterious, interesting, enterprising. Much more interesting than William John. <laughs> yeah, William William John von Fluffy Buttoncourt. Like we don't yeah, yeah. who nobody knows him because you can't say that. So he was smart enough to come up with a name and be like, he's going to tell you what it is. Kiro, who practices chiromancy. We love that. Yeah, it's good branding. After supposedly studying under gurus in India, Kiro set up a palmistry practice in London. And enjoyed a wide following of famous clients from around the world, including famous celebrities like Mark Twain, Oscar Wilde, Thomas Edison, the Prince of Wales, William Ewart Gladstone, and Joseph Chamberlain. Interesting. I could definitely see uh, see Oscar Wilde that like oh that absolutely half drunk like, off his ass and he's like yeah pretty boy read my palm yeah, read this palm <laughs> and then after that I got something else you can read. After that, we're going to get into that spatula mancy. I'm going to have you read my bone. 
<laughs> so popular was Kiro as a society palmist that even those who were not believers in the occult had their hands read by him. The skeptic Mark Twain wrote in Kiro's visitor's book, which I love, by the way, that he had a visitor's book. <laughs> I fucking love that. Like, it's the best Western. Was he a Virgo? Yeah, right. Anyway, Mark Twain wrote that he had had, quote, exposed my character to me with humiliating accuracy, end quote. So he read you. Read you like books, sis. He read you. He read that as for filth, Mr. Mm -hmm. Twain. He did. He certainly did. I, I love that. I love the image of this, like, because in my mind, he's small because he's an Irishman. Uh <laughs> Whoa, wait, hold on. Hold on. Hold on here. Uh-uh. No. I take he's personal just like, fits to he's that. He's like this slight Irishman who's like, who has read your hand? I'll be reading your hand. The entirety of Ireland <laughs> already has an issue with us They from just me. left the chat. Right. That's it. So they already had an issue with us from, like, my episode. <laughs> way back when right and then they came back and they're like we'll give you another shot and then they listened to this and they're like all right nope we're done i'm out i'm out we're absolutely done <laughs> i love the concept i love the concept that he went to india i'm not gonna say he didn't go to india but i'm just interested to hear more about that <laughs> <laughs> i'm interested in the receipts of that very interested mm. in that that's pretty good actually i actually think well <sighs> I originally, I, I don't have it in my script because I wasn't going to bring it into the episode, but I actually think there may have been a scandal with this guy. Not a scandal. Where they exposed that he, um, I feel like there may have been something where he was like doing some sort of magic or whatever, and they discovered that it was all a hoax because it malfunctioned in one of his shows or whatever, and like it was really embarrassing. But I didn't put it in the script because I didn't want to malign him. Oh, unfairly, the great because I could be confusing him with one of the other Victorian era occult people. The great Kiro would never would never would never. Yeah, I, th I think it may have been him. It could have been somebody else. Though. There were there were a lot of these like I'm going to say it was someone else. You're going to not you're, we're not going to keep on with this tarnishing of the Irish <laughs> of the name Irish of the good name. Irish people here. Listen, those you're not going to you're not going to do that. <laughs> I'm steadily over here. I'm trying to win. Our Irish listeners back. Come on now. I'm not going to let her do this to y'all. Give us a shot. <laughs> um, yeah. So he, there were a lot of these guys who would kind of get into, because the occult was so, similarly to now, how the occult is so popular, there's like a ton of podcasts on occult topics, this hadn't, being one of them. Hadn't heard. And it was kind of like that back then where the cult was really popular with people. And so it was a way that people could kind of turn a quick buck. And so they would kind of, you would ha have these show people, these personalities that would get into occult practices and they would kind of bounce around from soiree to soiree. And these rich people who were bored and needed the entertainment anyway would pay them tons of money to like basically do these sham acts. Could you right? imagine if there was such a thing as podcasting back then oh and they were in it and it's like hot and it's like over that, uh, however they fucking communicated. I don't know. It was fucking telegraph fucking. What did they do? Over did Morse they, code. Morse code. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fucking Morse code. That's and it's the like, whole podcast. Hi, welcome. I'm fucking Henry Von Boof and Snoofer. And, <laughs> you know, my co-host, Sir Reginald Sniffer Bumper. And we're uh. here today and we're going to read your fucking palms through Morse code. Through Morse code. <laughs> Excellent. And everyone's just sitting around and they're oh, like, oh, yes. Mm, and they're drinking their tea. 
Also, the thing about these people is that all of them fucking studied in India under some guru or another. Like all of them studied they? in fucking India. Did and they? did they really? Did, did they? they? Maybe they went to India. Did they just have like a layover? Right. And they like read right. like a pamphlet <laughs> yeah. at the airport somewhere. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I studied under, you know, the great Indian prophet. Mm. The fucking air, air, airport. <laughs> airport is his name airport yeah he's really new agey you wouldn't understand <laughs> so we've established that a lot of what we know about modern palmistry was likely smoke and mirrors invented by bored europeans but it's still a fun happy hour shtick to use with your friends so i thought we'd take a look at some of the most common classifications used by modern palmists mm-hmm. First, the different hand shapes as dictated by the connection they suggest to the four elements. So this is a little bit different than D'Arpentini's system, but it kind of, I don't know, I, I think this one makes a little more sense if you can say that. It's, it's definitely a lot more simplified. So four different elements, four different classifications of hands. Earth hands are generally identified by broad square palms and fingers, thick, or coarse skin and ruddy collar. The length of the palm from the wrist to the bottom of the fingers is usually equal to the length of the fingers. Air hands exhibit square or rectangular palms with long fingers and sometimes protruding knuckles, low set thumbs, and often dry skin. The length of the palm from the wrist to the bottom of the fingers is usually equal to the length of the fingers. Water hands are distinguished by the long, sometimes oval-shaped palm with long, flexible, canonical fingers. The length of the palm from the wrist to the bottom of the fingers is usually less than the width across the widest part of the palm and usually equal to the length of the fingers. Fire hands are characterized by a square or rectangular palm, flushed or pink skin, and shorter fingers. The length of the palm from the wrist to the bottom of the fingers is usually greater than the length of the fingers. So I have fire hands. I have fire hands too. I'm looking, I'm like over here. And so like I was almost, I feel like we're talking about like Avatar and we're talking about nations here. Like I'm with the fucking fire nation. But (laughs) so I was. Until the fire nation. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just them waving their fucking fire hands. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Waving. Uh, so I was, I was almost there with earth, yeah, but not quite, but I, that pretty much, yeah, I definitely have fire hands, short, stubby little hands. And then my, the width is more yeah. than that. What does this mean for me? Uh, well, I guess it means that, <laughs> I guess it means that the element that you're most closely associated with personality wise would be fire, I which kind of makes sense. It means you about to catch these fiery, fiery fucking hands. hands. Yes. Officially. <laughs> Hell yes. Officially. So in addition to the shape of hands, the lines also have valuable information to share about the characteristics and future of their owner. In some traditions of palmistry, earth and water hands tend to have fewer, deeper lines, while air and fire hands are more likely to show more lines with less clear definition. The three lines found on almost all hands, and generally given the most weight by palmists, though, are the heart line, the head line, and the life line. So starting at the top of your palm, 
The heart line is the first of the major lines examined by a reader, and it represents love and attraction. It is the first major line at the top of the palm right underneath the fingers. In some traditions, the line is read as starting from the edge of the palm under the little finger and flowing across the palm towards the thumb. In others, it's the exact reverse, seen as starting under the fingers and flowing towards the outside edge of the palm. Palmists interpret this line to represent their subject's emotional life. It is therefore believed to give an insight into how the emotional side of their mind frame will act out and be acted upon during their lifetime. The line is also claimed to indicate romantic perspectives and intimate relationships. For example, a chained or gridded heart line is said to point to a flirtatious attitude to love, one which can be prone to fall in love easily. The heart line is also said to be indirectly associated with heart health. A chained heart line is purportedly associated with high blood pressure or with an adrenaline junkie attitude in life. A chained? A chained. So like kind of gridded or it has a bunch of offshoots. Oh, so mine kind of uh, starts out that way and then just doesn't. And then it just gets right solid. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, there's other like small lines that kind of like go through it and around it. Mm -hmm. But like it kind of starts off a little definitely, I would say, a little more chained, a little more frayed, if you will. And Mm -hmm. then it tends to get it becomes strong. It becomes a more defined line. But then right at the tip where it kind of points toward my index finger, Mm -hmm. it's it forks. It splits mm. off into two, two little short forks. Interesting. So, so you could read it actually going from your pinky finger to your index finger, or you could read the reverse from your index finger backwards. Depends on what sort of school of palmistry, I guess, you're adhering to. Yeah. There's also a big dent right in the middle. <laughs> well, that huh. can't be good. <laughs> huh. Okay. So the next line identified by palmists is the headline. This line, again, starts at the edge of the palm under the index finger and flows across the palm towards the outside edge. Often, the headline is joined with the lifeline at inception. Palmists generally interpret this line to represent their subject's mind and the way it works, including learning style, communication style, intellectualism, and thirst for knowledge. It is also believed to indicate a preference for creative or analytical approaches to information like right brain or left brain. Interesting. I'm also concerned because in the middle of this, I have a big X. Oh, yeah. Some people do have that. I forget what that's for, though. I didn't come across uh, it in my research this time, I'm, but I, I think I came across it on fucking Facebook I'm, or something. So I'm, I'm mad. One, I mean, one of them, one of my lines has a dit in the middle. The other one has a has a fucking X in the middle. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's looking interesting over there for this you. This one also follows a similar pattern that it starts out kind of chained and then gets more defined and strong mm-hmm. as it goes. That can make sense, though, because if it's referring to like your intellectualism and like your mind, like, I mean, it makes sense that you could kind of start out finding your way and then get I'm still concerned about this X. <laughs> I don't grow. I don't know what to tell you on that. Uh, we need to <laughs> let's. So I'm assuming the next one we'll discuss is the lifeline, right? Exactly. The lifeline is the most controversial line on the hand, arguably. This line extends from the edge of the palm below the thumb and travels in an arc towards the wrist. 
This line is believed to represent the person's vitality and vigor, physical health, and general well-being. The lifeline is also believed to reflect major life changes, including cataclysmic events, physical injuries, and relocations. Modern palmists generally do not believe that the length of a person's lifeline is tied to the length of a person's life, however. Okay. So my lifeline has a big dramatic break right in the fucking center of it. Uh, If I'm looking at my left hand, if I'm looking at my right hand, everything's fine. (laughs) So, and my right hand is actually my dominant hand. So depending on the different schools of thought for palmistry, if we use my dominant hand, the right hand, lifeline's totally intact, everything's cool. On the left hand, though, which you know they said those women supposed to be read with the left hand, it's uh, got a big break. So my both of my hands are almost, they appear almost identical. That's cool. With each other because I'm looking at my left hand and there's also that big giant X right in the middle. There's that dent in the other one. And then my my lifeline kind of, it like you said, it connects with the, well, that was the head, right? Mm-hmm. Connects with the head and then it goes through and it, there's like three different forks. Mm. So it forks off to a short line first mm-hmm. and then it goes on straight for a little bit. And then there's two great big just it just divides mm. and there's and it's like a big gap between the two. It's like a big like, yeah, one I goes all that. the way to the left. One goes all the way to the right. The one on the right tends it extends all the way down to my wrist. And the one on the left is a little bit shorter. <sighs> okay. Okay. So the combined length of these three main lines, heart, head, and life, can also be of interest. It is said that if the combined length is longer than the subject's foot, they may be overbearing. And if it's shorter, they may give in too easily to other people. Whereas a similar length, suggests a well-balanced individual. Well, now, how they get that information, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> sounds like someone with a foot fetish, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. They're, like, trying to get in on this. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just get my tape measure and <laughs> let me measure out my lines. Let me just throw my just, foot on the yeah, desk here and, and try to get this figured out. <laughs> um, speaking of, is there such a thing as, like, palmistry but for the foot? I'm sure there is. I'm sure it's somewhere on OnlyFans, to be honest with you. What would you call that? P- podiatry? Podiatry? Podi- podiatry is the actual science, though. Podiamancy? Podiamancy. Mancy. Mancy. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe that's a Google for us later. <laughs> we end up on just a really weird side of the internet. It happens. It happens a lot doing research for this show. Yes, it does. So additional major lines or variations in the hand include a simian crease. That's a fusing of the heart and head lines. This has special significance since this single line must be read to infer details about a subject's emotional nature as well as their reasoning nature. According to Kiro, again, our Irishman who studied abroad in India. Go Kiro, don't you? Came home to read palms. Don't do it. This line the simian crease is thought to endow a person with an intensity of purpose or single-mindedness, the nature of which is decided upon by the exact position of this line on the hand and the direction of any branches shooting from it. In hands where such a line exists without any branches and as a singular mark, it is taken to indicate an extremely intense nature and special care is needed for such persons. Listen, my hand, I'm, I'm looking at it, it's, it's just telling me that I'm a homosexual. 
<laughs> You're gay, is gay what is that hell. says. Gay is well hell. manicured. <laughs> <laughs> very soft, very nice. <laughs> Homosexual hands. Another line of note is the fate line, which runs from the bottom of the palm near the wrist up through the center of the palm towards the middle finger. This line is believed to be tied to the person's life path, including school and career choices, success, and obstacles. Sometimes this line is thought to reflect circumstances beyond the individual's control, or alternately, the person's choices and their consequences. Wait, you said the the fate line goes from where? It goes from the bottom of the palm near the wrist up through the center of the palm towards the middle finger. Oh, so that's where mine forks. That's part of my fork. Because you said it went with the lifeline, right? Yeah, it sort of goes up through the lifeline. Oh, so mine, that's what connects mine through the lifeline. So that was my fate line mm-hmm. that's connected to my... Fate lines connect to, to the, the lifeline. Lifelines connect to the headline. <laughs> Headlines connect to the heartline. And we're all reading palms. <laughs> I love that. It's like fucking PBS for occultists. Absolutely. So other minor lines that I just want to kind of pepper in there. You may have heard of them if you've done any research on palmistry. The sun line runs parallel to the fate line right underneath the ring finger and is believed to indicate fame or scandal. The girdle of Venus starts between the little pinky or the pinky finger and the ring finger and then runs in a rough arc under the ring and middle fingers to end between the pointer finger and the middle finger. This is thought to relate to emotional intelligence and the ability to manipulate people. Oh, I don't have that. I mean, I don't have a line there. A circle? You don't have like an arch? Where in between my ring, my pinky Starts and ring? Starts in between the pinky and ring finger and runs in between the pointer finger and middle finger. No. I have a bunch ah. of small lines, but I don't have any line that like connects, hmm. that's like defined that way. Let me check. Nope, not on my left either. Interesting. There you go. You're not manipulating people. We can take your you at your word. Uh, so union lines, these are fun. They're little short horizontal lines that are found like on the side of the palm between the heart line and the bottom of the little finger. So in that first little chunk of hand um, before the first line. These were believed to indicate close relationships sometimes, but not always romantic. And the number of lines would correspond to the number of partners. In between the pinky and the uh, heart line, uh-huh. I have, uh, well, I have one. There you go. The mercury line runs from the bottom of the palm near the wrist up through the palm towards the little finger. And this is reported to be an indicator of persistent health issues, business acumen, or skill in communication. I have no idea how those three things are connected. Business acumen and business skill in communication ac- makes sense. Persistent health issues makes no sense. I'm like, what? I have a line there that goes, it just kind of juts straight toward my, my, my pinky finger. And it's just kind of like straight and like very spear like. Well, let's fucking hope that it's business acumen and not persistent health issues. <laughs> hmm. Lastly, we have travel lines. These are the horizontal lines found on the side of the palm between the wrist and the heart line. So the bottom part of your palm on the side. Each line is said to represent a trip taken by the subject. The longer the line, the more important the trip is to the subject. I have about one, two, three, four, five, six. I have six. 
Well, how many trips have you been on? Or I don't know. We what, what kind of trips are we talking about? Seems like you might need to pack your bags. Trip to the mall? Like, are we? What are we? What are we doing? <laughs> what kind of trips? What is? What defines a trip? Maybe a trip to India. Maybe you're the next hero. <laughs> hero, Cairo, whatever. Maybe that's you. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? So while we've discovered that most of what we know about modern palmistry is a little suspicious at best. A little sus. It does make for a fun quarantine activity as you're slowly losing your mind trapped inside your own home. Seriously, though, I I am actually kind of fascinated by these offsprings of occult practices. And if there's anything we've discovered about magic, it's that you get out of it what you put in. So maybe spend a little time looking at your palm and reflecting. Who knows? It could lead to some new discoveries about who you are or who you want to be in this new year. We love that. Great. Absolutely. You, and you can go to your local home goods and pick up a palmistry statue. You can. To learn. I've seen them there. Mm, but, <laughs> but <laughs> the thing about those things, even though I think they are cool and I like the aesthetic, they're kind of, they're kind of bullshit. I mean, the whole thing is bullshit, sort of. Like what we know about it is bullshit which is kind of what I wanted to get across is like, I'm not shitting on the entire practice. Like there, I'm sure that there are roots because there, there does appear to be deep roots of palmistry. Mm-hmm. The problem is that most of what we know about palmistry is sort of tied in with like the Europeans who it's found it later. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Westernized. It's, it's not, it's so divorced from the culture in which it originally derived its meaning that it's like, is it just bullshit? But at the same time, it fascinates me. Even if it is bullshit, I'm interested in it because I'm a chaos magician. So like everything is bullshit to me, kind of. <laughs> um, it it kind of doesn't matter whether it was invented or not. But yeah, no. So I, I would say, you know, look into some of the the works around. It is kind of interesting to dig into the material from like the early 1900s, um, late 1800s. And a lot of that is available online, like in PDFs that you can read. So maybe do that instead of home goods. I mean, unless you just want it for the aesthetic purposes, like the little hand statue, because they are cool. Yeah. They're very cool. Uh, if I remember correctly, when we took our trip to New Orleans, I got my palm red. I think we both did. Did you get yours? Yes. You got yours red? Yes. But I was very drunk. And so I don't remember <laughs> I don't, what they said. I, I would, think I think she said uh, there, there was a lot of duality going on with me, which is typically the case. That makes sense. She was just like, oh, two. Too. And well, I was like, well, I remember we were go- we were walking down Bourbon Street and I remember because you remember seeing her. She had like her the the reader had her little station set mm-hmm. up on the street. And I believe her name was Fox. If I'm not it was mistaken. it was Fox because I was like, um, oh, this is good. <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> and I think like we were she was on one side of the street. We were walking down the other side. And I remember just like catching her eye, you know, and it was a little weird. And I was like. Oh, okay. And then we, I think we went and we got some fucking drinks from the next oh, yeah. bar. You got to have a hurricane. And um, I think I got a grenade, one of those little tall green grenade uh-huh. things. And hand grenade. Hand grenade, yeah. And came back. We were coming back down the same side that she was on. And then I don't know. It was just like a weird, like, I just felt like, okay, this is something I need to do. I mean, you're in New Orleans. Of course, there's like the novelty of it, right? Mm hmm. So I remember doing that and I know that she read, she read, she read tarot or palm. Like you could do Mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. 
or both, depending on what you wanted to pay. And I remember thinking like, well, I can already kind of like read for myself. So palmistry is something that I don't know how to do. And let's try it out. Um, and I remember her reading my palm, but I, like you, I have absolutely, I, I don't remember what the fuck she said. Yeah, I don't really either. Did it, did it actually happen? It did. It, <laughs> I, it definitely happened. Uh, I, but I don't, I don't remember any insights. It was just, I think it was the typical like, oh, two, the power of two, like there's, there's duality throughout your life. And I'm like, tell me something I don't fucking know. Um, <laughs> But uh, I don't remember any of the specifics. I don't either. It's weird. Yeah. Maybe it's time to have it done again. I Maybe. love I love that. I love being in the moment. Maybe. Going after for a little COVID, bit of palmistry. Of yeah, definitely <laughs> after COVID. Um, maybe maybe like the COVID version of palmistry is to just like take a picture of your hand flat and just like get on Zoom. Maybe like email. Oh, yeah. We <laughs> Much love less innovative sexy way ways to practice to do that. magic. That's what you call a hand analyst. You send the picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You send the picture to the hand analyst. They analyze it. And then they send you an email back with your results. Mm-hmm. We love that. Yeah. We love an enterprising uh, business who, you know, figures out ways around a global pandemic. Absolutely. You got to adapt. You got you to adapt. Always. You got to. Well, that was interesting. I wasn't expecting that today. I was kind of expecting blood, guts and gore, you know. Yeah, you know, sometimes you got to keep people on their toes, you know? This was something that, you know, as I said, I wanted to cover for a while, so I thought it would be a fun one for us today. Yeah. But don't worry. There's plenty of guts and gore in my file here. She says as the flame flickers against the fucking glass of the candle and lights her face, and it's just that fire there that's behind the eyes. That fire hands. That happens, the fire hands, fire nation. I'm not calling them jazz hands anymore. They're going to be fire hands. Again, you going to get these fiery hands, especially you want me to sign off today? Am I going to sign off? Are we yeah. done? Yeah. I can do that since oh, you've been talking, you. right? Do you guys want to hear me sign off? Please do. I hope they do. I'm not going to wait around for your response because that's impossible. You're doing you're doing it today. You did the sign on. You're doing the do sign it. off. I am going to do Go it. For well, it. guys, like we said at the top of the episode, if you enjoyed this episode, then please go and give us a five-star review. Uh, You can do it on our Facebook page. So if you search The Haunted Heart on Facebook, you can pull up our page, like us there, leave us a review there, or on Apple Podcasts. We love it. We may read it on the show. You never know. Oh, yeah. And if you want to follow us for more juicy things you can search us up on instagram at the haunted heart podcast on twitter at the haunted heart and we also have a patreon so if you want bonus episodes more bullshit a potential palmistry video that we may or may not put out there i'm not gonna put it out there because who knows you know us you know we i'm not gonna promise you that but there's other bullshit on there that you may like. So you can go in there. We have tiers as low as a dollar. Whatever works for you works for us. And we also have a Facebook group. So you can meet us there. And it's a private group. So all of the crazy, weird shit that you, you know, clear your browser history from, you can post there. And nobody will judge you for it. We promise. We, we can't. So you can search the Haunted Heart, um, go to the group. And a member of our Murder Mod Squad will approve you there. And I, I think, think that's that was it. it. That's I it. Think it was it. Is that the spiel? Did yeah. I do good? You did. You did great. 
You did you good, did pig. Really good. <laughs> <laughs> you did good, pig. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us this week. We will be back in your feeds with another episode next week. And until then, keep those hands clean. Wash your damn nasty ass hands. And stay, stay spooky. spooky.